Hey there, thanks for visiting the podcast of the Guelph Vineyard Church. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our podcast using whatever platform you listen on, or visit our website at guelphvineyard.com. Here's this week's message brought to you by our pastor, Chris McQueen. You know, as we've been meandering through this journey, uh, discussing and contemplating maturity in Christ and all that that might mean, and even just, you know, maturity as human beings, uh, that those things are kind of not completely unrelated, although there are some distinctives. We're going to talk about one of those distinct, major distinctives this morning, actually. Um, but, you know, the, one of the things uh, that has become a core part of my vocabulary is an expression, uh, two words, actually. It's complicated. I don't know how many times I've said those words. Um, I don't know how many times I've said those words in this context, um, and, and during talks and Sunday morning and, and conversations with people here. I don't know how many times I've said that to Liv, to my you know, extended family, to friends. I, it's just so often, it just feels complicated. Um, there are many questions raging around right now that I don't have a clear answer. I don't know how all of the threads come together in this time, and it feels so complicated. And I wish, I wish that that complication lived on its own, but the reality is that there are days where it feels complicated to know how to follow Jesus well. And there's something in me that has been that wrestles with that, wrestles with with that. Is it you know? And, and that's part of what we're going to talk about today, because I, I, I think that that's not the intentions of God. I think I can say that it's not the intentions of God that things are complicated. That we, I, I don't believe it's the intentions of God that we need to weave through this super narrowly defined kind of way forward. I'm not talking about whether or not Jesus is the way in the narrow gate and all that stuff. I'm, I'm talking about sort of there being a, a gauntlet of, of complexity so that only really smart people can get through. Only, that, that just doesn't, that does not resonate with any of the themes that we see in terms of how Jesus portrays access to the Father through him. It never seems complicated. It rarely seems easy either. And I think that that's a really important thing to remember when we think about this, you know, and again, we're interchanging words here, but as we look at something like the word maturity and becoming fully who we were made to be in Christ, I think we can be in agreement. It's not easy, but that doesn't mean it's complicated. Easy things, uncomplicated things can still be difficult things. Um, and so this is part of the tension that we live in, right? So we kind of see this dynamic and it, and it emerges within the sort of religious leadership that, that we see portrayed in various different times in the scriptures, not the least which being the Pharisees. Uh, in Jesus' time, religious leaders seem to try to make it kind of complicated for people to access um, the Father to access uh, God, and then Jesus comes along, and He makes it in some ways harder, but more easy, harder but less complicated. And so, um, so yeah, 
you know, and, and I think that this is this is the invitation for us today. I think that in the midst of all of the stuff that's going on, that that the call of God to you and me, the call of Christ to you and me, the work of Christ in you and me is actually somehow simple. Somehow it's simple. A text um, that emerged as I was reflecting on what to share for today comes out of Matthew uh, chapter 18. And Catherine has mentioned this a number of times. Some others have as well. As we've talked about maturity, it's always been reminded to us or often been reminded that Jesus said, well, hey, listen, you got to be like a child. Right? You got to be like a kid. And, um, and that's, that's what we're going to talk a little bit about today. What that means, what that doesn't mean, and how that relates to this issue of the complexity of, of our time, of our times, and what it might mean to follow Jesus well now and be matured even in this time, through this complex time. Um, I do want to say that the kind of simplicity that I think the Lord is inviting us to is a simplicity that requires the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not intuitive to us. It's kind of counterintuitive. So it's not complicated, but it's counterintuitive. Um, and it's, this is the kind of simplicity, actually, that Jesus does is, is using to disarm the attempt of, of some disciples to complicate matters uh, in, in the circle of 12, right? So Matthew 18, verses 1 through 5, the text says this. Pardon me. It's mid-afternoon when I'm doing this, so I have the mid-afternoon yawns. Um, at, the time, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And there's the subtext here, right? Who's the greatest? Where do we sit? Where do we stand? Where are we in the pecking order? How do we how do we advance? You know, how do we get upward mobility, up, upward traction, upward mobility in the organization of the kingdom? There's this sort of tone that you hear. Who's the greatest? Uh, and this shows up other places too. Which one of us do we get to sit at your right or left hand? I, you know, I believe that's James and John. You know, the, 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 so anyway, who then is the greatest in the kingdom? of heaven. Jesus called a little child to him and placed the child among them. That's significant. He takes a child um, who's not in that context typically um, would be separate from the council of, of elders, essentially. of, of uh, Anyway, and places them among them. And then he says, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like the little children, you will never Enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes such a child in my name welcomes me. Um, there's an awful lot that we can unpack in that. Jesus, I think, is saying a number of things at the same time, which is like the most Jesus-y thing Jesus does when he talks. Uh, he, he's usually multi-layered, and he certainly is multi-layered here in what he's what he's talking about. It's possible to get this thing wrong. 
Um, it really is because I don't believe Jesus is looking and grabbing a you know grabbing his inviting a child over, bringing a child into the circle, and then saying, "Hey, look! In all of the ways, in all of the childishness and foolishness of this child, we need to be like this." I, I don't actually think that that's what he's saying. I don't think he's calling his disciples or us to childishness. I think there's something else that's going on and. And it's important that we do um, allow the scriptures to have some context and some shape because it's possible to read this passage wrong. It's, prob- it's, it's, it's possible to, to have any passage in scripture um, not land correctly. Um, and so, you know, there are helpful ways of reading this. There are less helpful but not entirely broken ways of reading this. And there are actually some harmful ways of reading this. this I have I have seen this passage used to justify um, just not great behavior, childish behavior, rather than childlike um, enthusiasm. But in this case, actually, childlike powerlessness is what Jesus. If you if you look at it, that's what Jesus is actually calling here: childlike powerlessness um, is is a huge part of what he's saying, not the only thing. Um, so. I want to just focus focus in on here that that this is neither an invitation to childishness nor childishness nor is it an indictment or a criticism of maturity, right? So in this moment, let's be. I I think we need to be clear. I don't really see anything here that Jesus is is lifting up a sense of immaturity. Um, the the stunted nature of, of of our ways of relating to one another the the selfishness that we can see evident pretty clearly I mean in my own life I've I've told the story before of of assuming that the world turned around me and you know I turned five and there were five of us and you know my one brother was born and there were five of us in in the family and then I thought oh when I'm six there's going to be six and when I'm seven there's going to be seven because the world revolves around Chris well. That's not the kind of childishness that Jesus is is highlighting here. Of course it's not. And at the same time, he's not diminishing this idea of maturity. And we know that because this idea, this theme comes up over and over again. Maturity, um, being made perfect, being made whole, being made into the fullness, coming into the fullness of what God's intentions are. And so it's actually the celebration of a kind of maturity that shares something in common with a childlike attitude, particularly towards towards power and influence in this case, but I think it goes a bit beyond can wonder as as well, innocence. But I want to say that again. I think that this is Jesus celebrating and lifting up and highlighting a kind of maturity that shares something in common with a childlike attitude and posture. In life, a childlike attitude and posture. Um, you know what the disciples have actually done here is they've tried to introduce a sense of hierarchy, um, and they've tried to start to politic a little bit the kingdom. How do we do this thing best? How do we how do we get powerful in this in this thing? How do we become the greatest in the kingdom that you're doing? Because because that's what we want. We want greatness, and Jesus. 
um, uh, he sees what's going on and he recognizes that what they're doing and translating into our current times, they're, they're introducing complexity. Well, how complex does, um, does, uh, rela- do relationships get once there's hierarchies of power and influence? I'm not talking about authority, which can be a beautiful and holy and wonderful thing. I'm talking about, I'm talking about powering over and, and having places and, and positions of privilege. And we see this over and over again and how many of our complexities right now and conundrums are, are woven in with this, uh, with this thing of the brokenness of human relationships with power. Well, this is part of what the disciples are trying to introduce. And Jesus says, nope, nope, not that complicated. It's not that complicated at all. I want no angling from you. I want no strategizing from you. Um, I don't want you to try to be the the you know the the my the number one right. I just want you to actually be like this child. And and what the disciples would have seen in that space was a child who was completely dependent and kind of irrelevant to the goings on of the culture that they lived in. And and I don't you know. Our understandings of, of things like childhood change throughout human history, just like our understandings, our understandings of, of gender and gender roles have shifted dramatically throughout, throughout time, right? So we in our culture have the sense of the wonder of childhood. We, we really elevate it. We elevate it almost to a point where we, we can tend to, to stunt or, or, or criticize you know, mature behavior. We... Um, we we sell things to kids. Kids are really great um, uh, consumers, right? And so, you know, this is an elevated thing. And we, we know about this, the wonders of childhood. Well, in that culture and in that time, it was very different. You know, kids, childhood was mostly about surviving childhood because not all of them made it through childhood. These were not easy times. Uh, not easy times at all. At all. And so surviving childhood and, and also not having much power or influence. Kids did not wield a whole lot of power over their parents in that time. And I don't want to get into, I'm not suggesting that that was better and that this is necessarily worse. It's certainly different. But noting that what the disciples heard was, hey, like this child who's fairly insignificant, as you you see it, uh, I want to flip that on its head. And I want to say that this is what you're called to as well. Letting go of that stuff and becoming dependent right? Letting go of that stuff and allowing me, allowing, allowing the father to become your sole concern, right? And that's, that's often what the, what the raising up of, of children were in that time was about instilling what? Honor your father and your mother, right? That's the 10 commandments. It's the basic, it's the basic stuff, really essential morality kinds of stuff. This was a, a big part of what's going on in that time, right? So Jesus says, look, you're angling for power. We're going to do this differently. And he simplifies something. He simplifies something. Um, so what I noticed here, and I didn't notice it really until I started to dig in. There's an interesting word that gets used here. Jesus talks about about them and, and in fact commands them in a, in a manner of speaking to change and become like little children, change and become. And I thought, you know, that word is interesting, become, right? Become is not entirely unlike what we think of when we think of maturing. We're becoming more mature. It's a transformation. It's a, it's a process, right? So Jesus is looking at them and he's clearly saying, look, you are, you are in an, 
there is work for you to do. There's a transformation that needs to happen in order for you to be able to really grasp any of this kingdom stuff that I'm talking about. And you need, you need to become more like this. So Jesus is actually tracking a journey for them, a counterintuitive journey into maturity, right? Um, and one that is far more simple than the, than the thing that they have sort of offered as a track, right? Their success track, they're looking for success track, and Jesus flips it on the head. And, and he uses this word. Now, the word, um, I'm going to butcher the pr- pronunciation of the Greek here, but it's, it's uh, genomahi, okay? And, and so um, it's interesting. It's, it's really not the same word that we've been talking about for maturity, which, of course, is teleos, this idea of being made perfect, right? Being matured, um, being, being made to the fulfill, fullness of who we were made to be. But it's also not, it's not very dissimilar. It has many things in common. Um, there's, it's, it's this process of, of a journey towards an end, being transformed into a likeness, shaped and developed, matured into childlikeness. Isn't that a crazy, bizarre thought? Being matured into a kind of childlikeness, right? Um, and so this is not interchangeable uh, with that perfection thing. So this is a different word. But there is actually, even when you look at the definition, there is a sense of fulfillment in the word. Becoming, being the sense of fulfillment. So these are very closely related in this becoming that Jesus is talking about. And it's really important, I think, to note that that there's a a sort of single-mindedness in this. Jesus does not complicate it a whole lot. But he does kind of go into strange territory, like I've mentioned. He there's an upside downness to Jesus thinking, right? This is something that's not easily, it's not intuitive, right? This this moves against the grain. Um, this this is an uphill journey, an uphill sensibility, and um, you know and and. What he's what he's trying to to do is he's trying to I think break the spell of complexity by reducing it to a basic question. Um, am I Jesus, it, it, your your Lord? Right. I think in this context that. The invitation, speaking to child likeness to a child, and the celebration of that, and the recognition of that child, the value of the child in that circle, and receiving all who are like that child, and actually receiving Jesus, right? Um, there, there really is a return to this basic question: who, who do you give your yes to? Um, you know, and when you look at the, the principles of, of what child rearing looked like, raising kids looked like at that time, it was really about shaping kids who knew how to give their yes to the right things and no to the unhelpful things, right? Yes to, to parents. Now, I'm not talking about blind obedience, and of course, the modern world is different. But the invitation to us is not more complicated. 
right? We're not called to be masters of our, of our world. We're not called to be the wisest people. We're not called to have all the answers to every situation, right? All of the, we're, not, we're not called as believers to, to, have a, to, to leave our mark on society by always having the most perfect, right, moral, balanced answer, right? We, we, that's, that's actually not the invitation. The invitation is, who is your Lord? Where is your yes? Where is your yes? And so, what might Jesus be saying to you and to me? This is, this is absolutely, I'm included in this conversation. No expert here, people, you know that. What might Jesus, what might the Lord be saying to us to, that, that would break the spell of complexity that surrounds us and, and, and reduce all of these issues that are potentially extraordinarily divisive, reduce them to, am I following Jesus with my life or not? Am I following Jesus with my life or not? Lord, what are you saying to us right now to break the spell of complexity that's really befuddling a lot of us? and complicating some of our relationships. What are you saying to us? What's, I, I believe that the, just like there was the wisdom of Jesus to diffuse the potential complication that the disciples were trying to introduce, and he diffuses it by upending their idea, the thing that they think they're thinking about. Jesus, what are you saying to us? I wish I had it for us. I wish I could say, here's what the Lord is saying, and I can't say that I do. Um, but I see here that Jesus functions this way. And so I want to invite us to be praying and listening for this. Um, and so we're going to close this way this morning. It's a final thought. It's a little bit of a little bit of a left turn, but I think it's important nonetheless. When I think of simplicity, I think of single-mindedness, right? Um, Jesus has this ability to find the most important thing and to say it, right? To adjust the most important thing. And I think that there are many things that are trying to be the most important thing right now. I feel it in my own life. Many things that feel like the most important thing. I'm trying to contextualize and understand how to apply these things and how to, how to order them. And Psalm 27 comes to my mind. And I'm going to read one verse from it and then I'm going to read the full context. It's a bit of a longer psalm. But we're just going to close out the session or the, the, the gathering with this reading. I'm not going to do a whole lot of expounding. I think this is the most single-minded passage in Scripture, at least from what I've seen. It reduces every question of the psalmist to one thing. And I would understand that one thing as being the presence of Christ. Here we go. Psalm 27, 4. I have asked the Lord for one thing. This is what I desire. I want to live in the Lord's house all the days of my life so that I can gaze at the splendor, the beauty of the Lord and contemplate contemplate. Him in his temple. 
This is my one thing. This is my essential yes. This is my this is my first yes and my last yes. This is my simple answer to every complicated question. I want to live in the Lord's house all the days of my life. I want to be inside of whatever the Lord is building for his own glory. I want to live there. And I want to live there not so that I can have status, but so that I can gaze on the beauty of the Lord and remember that the Lord is Jesus and contemplate him in his temple. Be present, be engaged with him in his temple. Beautiful, beautiful passage. Psalm 27, 4. And, and here's the thing. It's inside of a mess. That, that little nugget lives inside of a messy psalm full of, full of intrigue and uncertainty, full of societal pressure, full of war and rumors of war and betrayal. And all of these things are surrounding this beautiful little snippet. Does that sound familiar to you? I think it might be pertinent to us. So here's the entire psalm. And then I'm just going to say amen at the end and, and uh, bless you into the, rest of your, into the rest of your day. Psalm 27, the Psalm of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. I fear no one. The Lord protects my life. I am afraid of no one. When evil men attack me to devour my flesh, when my adversaries and my enemies attack me, they stumble and fall. Even when an army is deployed against me, I do not fear. Even when war is imminent, I remain confident. I've asked the Lord for one thing. This is what I desire. I want to live in the Lord's house all the days of my life so that I can gaze on the splendor of the Lord and contemplate in his temple. He will surely give me shelter in the day of danger. He will hide me in his home. He will place me on an inaccessible rocky summit. Now I will triumph over my enemies who surround me. I will offer sacrifices in his dwelling place and shout for joy. I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear me, O Lord, when I cry out. Have mercy on me and answer me. My heart tells me to pray to you, and I do. I do pray to you, O Lord. Unless we think David is just being extremely positive all the time, get what he says now. Don't reject me. Don't push your servant away in anger. You are my deliverer. Do not forsake or abandon me. O God who vindicates me. Even if my father, my mother, my mother abandoned me, the Lord would take me in. Teach me how you want me to live, Lord. Lead me along a level path because, those, because of those who wait to ambush me. Do not turn me over to my enemies for false witness who want to destroy me and testify against me. Where would I be if I did not believe I would experience the Lord's favor in the land of the living? Rely on the Lord. Be strong and confident. Rely on the Lord. Amen. See you next week.